Welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I'm your host, Dave Dynasty. Thank you for joining us and uh, being patient with us, because I know this episode was due out, uh, uh, what, two weeks ago, I believe? I don't know. Had a lot going on, busy schedule, just crazy crap going on, and it caused a delay. I am truly, truly sorry. But as a thank you for your patience, what we're doing, if you saw on social media, you already know this, what we're doing is we're releasing three episodes in, at one. Right, we had a poll out there of which interview you wanted to hear: Jerry Jarrett, Rip Rogers, or Larry the Axe Henning. Now, Jerry Jarrett won the poll and was going to be the interview that we did. But as a thank you for your patience, you know what? We're going to put three episodes out. We're going to put all three out, so anybody that voted and anybody that cared is happy. At least I hope. So consider this an early Christmas present <laughs> and a special thank you for your patience and for listening to our show. Uh, so. You know, that's that's the what's where we stand, right? We've got three episodes, three great interviews with three legendary people from the wrestling business. And on this episode, we will have the winner of the poll, Mr. Jerry Jarrett, famed Memphis wrestler and promoter. But what you're going to see in this interview and the accompanying uh, little history bit that I also did, uh, as this is a, you know something we released previous, but you'll see this is just a discussion of Jerry Jarrett, his interactions and workings with Dick the Bruiser, particularly... The brief 1982 partnership with Dick the Bruiser and Jerry Jarrett to promote shows in Indiana. You're going to hear all about that from Jerry's recollections. Talking about when he first met Bruiser, when Bruiser came to Memphis, etc., etc. And then we'll give you a little brief history of, of what I could scourge up uh, <laughs> about that relationship from my research. So it's very cool stuff, very interesting. Kind of a forgotten little snippet of wrestling history if you're not real familiar with it so let's take a break when we come back we will have that bit with jerry jarrett so stick around be sure to follow the dynasty wrestling podcast network and all of the participating podcasts on social media the easiest way to find us is on twitter you can follow the network at wrestle pods and you can find all the individual shows at their twitter accounts you can find the wrestling nostalgia show at Rassle Nostalgia, the Ring of Ding Dong Dandy podcast at Stampede Pod, and the Wild Men podcast at Wild Men Podcast. Also, search us on Facebook for pages and groups. Participate, interact, join the network, and be a fan. Thank you for your support. We have a very special guest with us, longtime legendary Memphis promoter, Jerry Jarrett. Mr. Jarrett, how are you today? Dave, I'm fine, and I appreciate being on your show. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. Before we uh, dive into things, we're going to talk about Dick the Bruiser today with you. Before we dive in, I want to just put a quick plug in. Uh, everybody, make sure you check out every week Jerry's podcast, uh, Booking Memphis. He does it with Sean Reedy. Uh, if, if you want to hear the Memphis side of Jerry Jarrett and, and all those stories and tales, uh, you can check that out. It's available everywhere you get your podcast. Uh, and I also recommend you go on and find Jerry's book, that he put out a few years ago. Uh, it's a great read. Uh, again, if you want to hear the Memphis side of Mr. Jarrett's work, that's the place to go. But uh, we're going to talk about Dick the Bruiser, Jerry. Do you remember when you first met Dick the Bruiser? Oh, well, like it, <laughs> like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was a wrestling fan. And so through the magazines, you know, I had, uh, I'd watched uh, Dick and and appreciated his work mm -hmm. 
But I went up and opened Louisville, Kentucky, and one night Dick the Bruiser and Wilbur Snyder showed up and informed me that that was their town. Right. And uh, so, you know, I was very naive. I didn't know the history of who had run what, but I said, I don't I don't see your name, Dick, when I drive up the interstate uh, where I'm entering Dick Aplis country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, we ran it and we closed it down. And, but we still consider it our town. Yeah. So I went back to Nashville and he said, uh, uh, unless you want to have trouble with us running against you, uh, you need to work out a deal. And I said, what kind of deal? And he told me they wanted X percentage each week. Yeah. So I went back to Nashville and, uh, Talked to Nick Goulis and Roy Welch, and they said, well, nobody owns any town, but there is respect for the territories, and um, you'd probably be making a wise decision to go ahead and pay them uh, rather than have a fight with you being new in the town. Right. So for the next three or four years... I sent uh, I sent him a check, and then uh, I got more savvy to the business. Um, figured out real quick that I was much more successful at promoting promoting than they were, <laughs> and uh, had enough money to fight. So I called Dick and I said, "Dick, I think I've paid enough blackmail, and uh, you're not getting a check anymore." And you're welcome to come into Memphis or or Louisville or any other town and just understand that I'm looking seriously coming into Chicago. And uh, he said, no, no, you've paid enough. Let's, let's don't have a wrestling war. Yeah. And that was my first relationship with Dick. Yeah. Then a few years later, he called me and said... Uh, Y'all are really burning it up down there in Tennessee. And uh, I wondered if you'd want to co-promote some matches with me. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. So that led to my second uh, business round with Dick. Yeah. Now, you brought you did bring him into Memphis uh, for to, to wrestle Jerry Lawler, correct? When In that run oh, for the title. Oh, yes, yes. He... he I, you know, I, in my mind, I have it broken into two categories, <laughs> my relationship with Dick Aflis and my relationship with Dick the Bruiser. Right. Yes, I had always admired Dick the Bruiser, and he did come in. He agreed to come in and wrestle uh, Lawler, and, you know, it. we had a great relationship on a talent basis yeah yeah so okay so you say so bruiser called you about running the shows in indiana obviously at this time bruiser's business was in it was in trouble it was on the way down uh it was clear yeah. clear to everybody anybody was watching the product when you when you started talking about doing this with him one of the one of the the, the gripes always been about bruiser is 
his unawareness of, of younger talent. Did, did you ever have a talk with him about that, about, hey, maybe we need to you know, back off the, the U and Bobo Brazil and Moose Cholock and focus on some younger, more exciting talent? Uh, not at the beginning, okay. because I, you know, I respected uh, the, the Eddie Farhat, the Sheik, mm-hmm. and he wrestled and stayed on top way too long. Yeah. Um, but I respected that these men owned this promotion, and they were, they had every right to make good decisions or bad decisions. Mm -hmm. It was their money. So at that point in time, no, I I didn't have any conversation, although I was well aware that 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 was the reputation he had, that, um, you know, he outlived his prime. Yeah. Yeah, so. But. Oh, go ahead. Um. I, I had that conversation after our first tour up there. Okay. Now, so you started sending tapes to him, correct? Was that just was that like maybe the Louisville edit of your show or, or whatever you were sending him up for his his? Stations? I don't. I don't remember. I just sent him uh, a tape, and the understanding was that uh, he would add in. Uh, his local stuff to my tape mm-hmm. and, uh, or add my stuff into his tape. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was our arrangement and in the process, it would get our talent exposed. And, and when he thought we were ready, uh, we'd do a joint show. Okay. Do you know how long the tape ran before you did that joint show? I mean, you know, I wish I did, okay. but, I, it's hard for me. So much happened in my life in the wrestling (laughs) business. It's hard for me to recall exact dates and times, but I'm sure it ran six or eight weeks. Yeah. Okay. Now you came up and you started, you ran some joint shows. Were were you aware that Bruiser was still running some of his smaller towns (laughs) without your crew and doing his own? Oh, oh yes. I mean, it was never that we were going to take over or that we were going to buy his territory. Okay. Uh, it was never that understanding. It was that, uh, we were going to help him, um, in his territory. And in return, those towns that we, uh, both shared in, we would share equally in the profits. Yeah. Okay. Well, and you were, uh, during some of those tapings and shows that you were using the WWA tag belts kind of prominently, I know that eventually the New York dolls won them, uh, from the young lions and stuff. Was there, was that always, was there a talk about that being the, maybe the tag titles being a little bit of a focus on those joint shows? Was there ever a talk about his singles belt coming on or just, were you just kind of going with the flow of it? And that's just kind of where it went. Yeah. It, we didn't get into those kind of details because, you know, I assumed that Dick was like me and looked at titles and belts as uh, production props. Okay. And whatever he felt comfortable with in his town was fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, our hot 
program at that time was Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Yeah. And yes, we recognized uh, Vern Gagne's um, titles in our promotion. So that was exposed when we would send our tape up. Mm-hmm. I was always under the assumption, and Vern Gagne is the one that, uh, led me to believe that Bruiser's territory or area was a part of AWA. Okay. I don't know if it was or not, and it really was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Did did you and Bruiser did you like you talked about Kamala? Did did was there a talk with you? Did you tell him, hey, this is my this is my hot guy right now. We have to protect him a little bit. He needs he needs to look strong, or else it kind of messes on my end. I mean, did you have those kind of conversations, or did you just trust that Dick would do the right thing? Yeah, I didn't. I really didn't know the extent of Dick's ego. <laughs> yeah. When I started that, and I would send him the tapes and the interviews with both the heel and the babyface, whoever Kamala was involved with Mm -hmm. and little did i know that that dick was taking that tape and cutting out leaving kamala's interview in and of course kamala had a manager Mm -hmm. so because he didn't talk and so dick would then insert one of a match of him and then he would make an interview as if this was going to be the main event. Uh, Dick the Bruiser against Kamala the Ugandan Giant. Mm-hmm. So I, down in our area, it, everything was selling out. I mean, huge business. Yeah. And, and when we started the tour up there... Um, you know, it, it was far from a sellout. Yeah. It was just mediocre. And then I picked up a program and I saw that the main event was on the card was Dick the Bruiser against Kamala. So I went to Dick and I said, you know, what is, what's going on? This, this isn't what we've been building toward. And he said, well, Jerry, I just thought I'm more established here, and uh, I thought I would draw more. Yeah. And I said, well, it obviously you didn't. And he said, yeah, I, I, our show was preempted one week. I mean, you know, some bullshit excuses. Yeah. So um, I said, well we have got to either come to an understanding and I won't go to the trouble of trying. I'll try to help you Dick, but I will, you know, I'll quit trying to structure the TV and out with interviews and I'll just send matches up. And he said, no, 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 send, send your program. And so that was before the match. And then we went in the match and, you know, Dick's style was to dominate. Yeah, right. And 
the Memphis style was to let the heel get a lot of heat and and then the baby face come back. Mm-hmm. So here Kamala is, and I had instructed Kamala, uh, you know, don't leave your feet. You're a big guy, and you're supposed to be a wild African animal. Uh, so here is the the match absolutely stunk the house out because <laughs> Bruiser wasn't going to go off of his feet, and Kamala had instructions not to go off of his and and you you can imagine how bad it was. Yeah. So after the match I told Bruce Bruiser, I said, you know, this isn't gonna work. Um we have built Kamala as a dominant force and here you have a history of being a dominant force we really need to go with my program and it's fine if you make it the semifinal and then you have your own opponent from up here. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, that's what we'll do. And remember this, while we are in conflict in our promotional ideas, mm-hmm. I really liked Dick Aflis and I think he liked me. Mm-hmm. Uh, had he had me out to his house and and you know we enjoyed each other's company right um, so we start for the next tour mm-hmm. that tour bombed we didn't lose any money but we sure didn't make any right and um, anyway we start for the next one and so by that time, a fan had called me and said, Dick the Bruiser is editing the tape because there were areas in Indiana and Illinois that we, our TVs overlapped. Right. So a few of the fans knew it and they called me. So I called Dick again and I said, Dick, are you showing our tape? Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I said, well, are you substituting again? He said, yeah, I am, Jerry. Um, I got to thinking about it, and it's just not good business for me to not be on the main event. And the TV, the people are getting where they like it, and and they see what's happening, so I'm still doing the edits. And I said, okay. So we ran that second tour, and then I told him that night, I'll finish up my commitment, but I don't think that we can work together. And that was that was the end of our co-promoting. Yeah. And you said they weren't drawing well, obviously, but so did that play into it? Was the logistics of you bringing a crew up and, and your guys coming up and the, not making money, did it did ever in the back of your mind said I did a even despite the edits, did you ever think, oh, I just don't know if this is going to pan out in the, in the long run? Or, or did you think that you could build it if, if you and Dick truly worked together? Oh, we would have. Because, like I said, there were areas that it where we went north in our promotion and his, he came south. Uh, there were towns, that little bitty towns, that we would draw 
an $8,000 house. Mm -hmm. And the biggest house we had on his tour was 5000 Right. So, I mean, you know, there, there wasn't much question of what the problem is. And then, toward the end of the night, Dick and I were just chatting, and I said, uh, I said, what do you think about the sheep still wrestling? He said, well, you know, he was a big star at one time, but he's, he really needs to back off. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, do you ever think there'll come a time when you ought to back off? I said, Jerry Lawler is young enough to be your son, and he and I are already talking about getting some younger guys ready. This is a young man's business, Dick. I don't know how you – you're a hell of a man, or you, I couldn't take the bumps you're taking. Yeah. And I'm younger than enough to be your son. And he said, uh, oh, yeah, I'm – he said, but I just, you know, I've done it so long, and I I love it. That's my element. Yeah. And so I, I you know, I valued his friendship, and I knew that if I continued uh, coaching or urging that I wouldn't be his friend anymore. Yeah. yeah. Now, so when he called you for help, say, you know, asked you to send some tapes and, and work with him, did he ever give any indication of why he thought he was struggling? I mean, did he? What? Why did? What was his take on why things were down? No, we didn't. I didn't ask him because okay. that's one of those things that I knew why he was down, mm -hmm. and I assumed he knew why he was down. Right. And for me to have opened up that dialogue would have revealed that I thought he was the problem. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just, I didn't want to do that. There right. are, you know, there are things in the wrestling business that are more important than drawing money. Right. Uh, that's, that should be the motivation, the bottom line, the ultimate factor but sometimes it's not. Yeah. Did you? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just assumed that Dick was living comfortably, and uh, I didn't want to mess up his sandbox. Yeah. Right. Did uh, so after you you guys stopped working. Did you ever see Dick any other time over the years that your paths ever crossed at a, you know any conventions? No, or I, or I, I really didn't. Um. Uh, the boys took it a whole lot more personal than I did yeah, and, and said some disparaging things about, you know, calling him an old man and yeah, living in a fantasy. And so I didn't want to bring him to Memphis and, right. and have a chance on somebody saying something smart. Yeah. Did you, did you sense some of that? Uh, disgruntledness with your guys coming up to Indianapolis after a tour or so kind of questioning, oh, you know, why are we doing this? Oh, absolutely. Um, the Rougeaus 
out of Canada were in. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they were very blunt, as most Canadians are. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I think that, I think, I'm not saying that as a knock. Oh, no. Me you know, they just, they will say what's on their mind. Yeah. I've always thought that would be, a, that's a good trait. I just wish people would just say, say what they think and what they feel. And let's, so I don't have to sift through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he said, why are we going back up here? Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, Dick's one of the pioneers in the business and I'm trying to help him. I said, you're going to, Get your money. I'm not going to have you suffer, but I'm going to try it another time. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if we did. I know we did two. I don't know if we did a third tour or not. Yeah. So what did you, do you remember when you got the news that Dick had passed away? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. And And I was naturally sad about it because... Dick had one, and if you talk a lot about him, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> Dick had one of the most illustrious careers of anybody in the business. I mean, he he really became a uh, living legend. Yeah. His matches with Crusher are, uh, I mean, you know, they were a big deal in Tennessee and throughout the South. Yeah. Do you, from your vantage point and, and with your experience being on the promotion side and, and all these years, do you feel, cause Bruiser did some big business in the seventies, uh, right in Indianapolis, you know, and he had Bobby Heenan and the black Jackson, et cetera. Do you feel that maybe his place in wrestling history and, and the WWA's place is tarnished a lot by some of those decisions he made on the tail end of the, of the run that people tend to remember that more than they remember the prime. You know, I don't know. It did not with me. Yeah. Um, when, when, you know, when I would think now of Dick, the bruiser, uh, I think about the glory days. Mm -hmm. I think about the days that, you know, he had the reputation and he had it of being a really tough guy in and out of the ring. Yeah. And so, you know, rather than making me mad when I went up there, I thought it was very sad. Right. Yeah. That, um, you know, he was still trying to relive those days in the seventies and it was 20 years past him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the biggest. I, I think you pointed it out properly to me the the similarities between him and the Sheik that you know both of them and both their territories kind of aged themselves out and and that refusal to kind of pass the torch, even though there was in both places some young talent there that I think could have could have taken the ball and ran with it. They just weren't willing to to step aside and, and let them go. Yeah, well, you know it's funny how things work. When I was at, at Dick's house and he and I were just talking, he asked about Fargo mm-hmm. and he said, uh, 
you know, I know Fargo loves Tennessee, and that's where he made home. Uh, does he ever talk about his days selling out the garden in New York? And I said, oh, yeah, sure he does. And uh, he said, well, how did he take, and I had, this really surprised me, that Dick had followed our territory and, and knew some of the things about him. And he said, how did he take when Lawler became the man and he wasn't? I said, he's the one that uh, we did the program of him passing the torch. I said, Jackie came to me and said, I'll pay you not to have to go to Jonesboro tonight. We ran Jonesboro on Saturday after the TV. And I said, what is it? He said, I'm just burned out, Jerry. And he said, you know, you're special, and you gave me a second shot at fame and glory and money, and but I just have to go. I said, okay, Jackie, it's time to pass the torch. Mm-hmm. And he was very willing, you know, and... Without his help, I don't know that Lawler would have gotten over like he did. Yeah. It's it's hard for a new king to assume the throne. Yeah. And and I just don't think you know, I don't think Dick was ready. Yeah. I've yeah, I've often cited Jackie Fargo as what should have been the blueprint for how Bruiser maybe should have conducted the end of his career and where he had maybe step, you know, just step back and just come in for those special appearances, make himself more of an attraction again, uh, where you don't see him every single show, but he come in for those special, those special grudge matches or those special occasions, you know, to like kind of like what you did with Jackie there, where he'd come in every once in a while and referee or, or you know, or, or come in just just to make an appearance. Uh, I, I thought that could have worked the same exact way with with Dick or even maybe even the Sheik, even I don't know, but but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, it's hard to get into somebody's mind. Oh, yeah. And when you, and and I have tasted just enough of it to be sympathetic. When you are the superstar mm-hmm. and tens of thousands of people scream your name, and you don't have something to fulfill that void, it's very, very difficult. Right. I was lucky because from the day I got in the business, uh, the thrill for me was behind the camera and not in front of the camera. Yeah. So I really never missed uh, being in the ring. Yeah. I... But what I'm saying is, because I was there and have wrestled with 11,000 people screaming your name, Mm -hmm. I know that feeling, that exhilaration. Yeah. And so maybe a Sheik or a Dick the Bruiser or some of the people that wrestled way too long, maybe they didn't have that thrill 
of producing and being behind the camera. Right, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm going to pull all my teeth and wear dentures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds good, yeah. Well, Jerry, thank you for coming on and, and talking to us. I've always said that the that period where you and Dick worked together is not really been talked about a lot. It's not, you know, not a, if I know it wasn't that, that long a run, but to me, it's, it's kind of a fascinating period on how it, how it happened and what happened, especially here in the Midwest, uh, history. So I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about it and, and telling your side of it and, and, and what happened. Yeah. And, and Dave, here's, here's what I hope all of your listeners will do is not think of Dick at the end of his career. Mm-hmm because that's not what he was right he was one of the true superstar legends in our business and he just made one mistake and that was that he loved it too much to give it up my little itty bitty bruiser buddies there you have it that interview with jerry jarrett as he talks about his working relationship with dick the bruiser that kind of gives you an overview of uh, the interactions between Jerry and Dick uh, over the years. So right now, let's talk about the portion of that relationship where Dick the Bruiser worked as a talent in Memphis. Now, Dick did, uh, he did a couple handfuls of appearances working uh, in Memphis for Jerry. Uh, Of course, their relationship, as you heard uh, Jerry talk about uh, going to Dick about running Louisville. Uh, at one point in time, Louisville was in Indianapolis office territory, a town, and uh, but it kind of been dark, right? Dick wasn't running there. Dick and Wilbur Snyder were not running there. They were not having shows. Uh, when Jarrett went to Goulas, uh, it said, hey, I think I want to run Louisville. Goulas said, hey, you got to do it the right way. So he went to Dick, and for many years, he paid Dick the Bruiser a fee uh, for running Louisville. Uh, you heard him talk about that. It got to the point where he just said, hey, it's enough, Dick. And Dick said, ah, I get it, whatever. Early, that's Jerry's take on it. Uh, and, and so that that's very fascinating there, the old uh, breakdown in, in the borders of the territories and, and the respect and how it went. Uh, and that kind of started. You know, Dick had worked in Louisville, obviously, before before Jeff Jerry Jarrett. Excuse me, not Jeff. Before Jerry Jarrett. Uh, but then there was that, uh, the, the, the Jerry taking over Louisville, so to speak. And then uh, there's the the program that ran in 74 where Jerry was building a young Jerry Lawler uh, to be the man, to be the NWA champion, right? This quest for the title that Jerry Lawler was on. And part of this was Jerry was essentially trying to work his way through the NWA top 10 and beating the contenders. And it was a, a, a build to work him up the rankings to get a shot at Briscoe in the title. And part of that was, uh, for us Midwest fans, uh, included bouts of Lawler against Bobo Brazil and included it against the Sheik and, of course, Dick the Bruiser. Now, part of the issue is the Sheik and Bruiser have always been notorious for, you know, kind of protecting themselves, so to speak, not wanting to do the honors in, in, in certain situations and wanting to protect their, their image. and their. Uh, after all, these two guys were the faces and the heads and the stars of their territories, even though they were kind of getting getting up in age, they were still the draws, right? And they're in, in Detroit and in Indianapolis, uh, and all, well, of course, and also in Chicago uh, with Bruiser and his partnership with uh, Gagne and everything else. So Bruiser did go down, um, and did face Lawler, 
Uh, and he, lo- he he did lose the match, but it was by disqualification. Uh, now, of course, there was the story that soon after on Memphis TV, there was kind of an edit and a unique spin and take where it made it look like Lawler actually defeated Bruiser. But supposedly they did the same thing with the Sheik, where it looked like uh, Lawler beat the Sheik. And uh, they were both apparently aggravated about it. Jerry said, ah, blah, blah, blah. It, it was kind of not a big issue, but kind of brought up. So that was kind of the first uh, little little thing with uh, incidents with, with Dick and Jerry working together there in that quest for the title for Jerry Lawler with Dick working for Jerry Jarrett uh, and, and doing that as Lawler built for his title match. Now, Dick would come back in the summer of 78 and do kind of a string of matches uh, through June, July, and August. Uh, I got some dates here. June 19th in, at the Mid-South Coliseum, Bruiser loses by DQ to, to, to Joe, Joe, Joe DeLaDuke. Man, I just stumbled all over that, didn't I? July 10th, 78, at the Mid-South Coliseum. Dick the Bruiser beat uh, John Louis. And, and, and I'm curious, I think at this point he was billed as the WWE champion. I don't know whether he was billed that way in the Mid-South Coliseum. It'd be, it's interesting to see that if they, if they gave the recognition to the WWE championship at that show. Uh, July 23rd uh, at the Louisville Gardens. Uh, Dick the Bruiser with Joe LaDuke again. August 13th, 78. Uh, again at the Louisville Gardens. Dick the Bruiser and Tommy Marlin against Joe Luke and John Louis. Uh, August 21st, 78 at the Mid-South Coliseum. This right here is a fascinating match to me. Uh, Bill Dundee and Dick the Bruiser and Tommy Gilbert and Wayne Ferris went to a no contest with Joe LaDuke, John Louis, and Jimmy and Johnny Valent. How is that for an eight-man tag? Uh, Dundee, Bruiser, Tommy Gilbert, uh, Wayne Ferris, the future honky-tonk man, the Valiant Brothers, that is that is a fascinating match. I do wish there was video of that match. I would have loved to have seen that. So, again, they're in the 78. Uh, Bruiser is going down, working some in Memphis, working some in Louisville for Jerry Jarrett as a talent. So, obviously, there was, you know, there was a, a good relationship there. Uh, you know, Dick was going down, doing the spots. And then, of course, uh, then in 1979, uh, and there there could have been some handful. I didn't dig through every all the results records. Of uh, Dick the Bruiser, but there and then there was a notorious match, November 26, 1979, at the Mid South Coliseum. Jerry Lawler as the Southern Champion, uh, defending his title in a non-title match, or excuse me, not defending his title, it was a non-title match with Dick the Bruiser. Uh, Bruiser wins by a reverse decision, and again, then there, there we've got some audio from that coming up from Memphis TV where uh, Jerry Lawler is talking about that match with Bruiser, uh, and it's pretty, it's 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 pretty entertaining, it's pretty fun, it's good Lawler. Uh, you know, he's always entertaining with these kind of things. Uh, so that's kind of Dick the Bruiser working for Jerry Jarrett in Memphis. Uh, he was going down, uh, clearly still a draw, clearly, clearly coming in, doing some of these spots, not getting a big, a big spot. I, I don't believe featured on TV per se, except for the name dropping here and there probably. And uh, this audio that we're getting ready to listen to with Jerry Lawler, but uh, there is a relationship right there. There's a respect and, 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 and kind of a partnership going on with them working together. So let's go real quick now. Listen to this uh, audio. This is Jerry Lawler with Lance Russell and Dave Brown talking about the November 26, 1979 match at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. It was a Southern title match. Jerry Lawler was the champion. Uh, so let's go to that audio now and listen to Jerry Lawler talking about that match. Ask him to come in here, Dave, if he can borrow your microphone because we have some footage of a... Uh, 
Why don't we let Buzzard Beak take a walk and you stay here with me? What do you want? Hey, what you want to send it? You can here. always go. Uh, we have. You don't want we, everybody to turn their TV off, do you? We have talked uh, a moment uh, uh, ago. We were discussing. Uh, Dave and I were talking off there about the defenses that Lawler has and uh, has had on his uh, world heavyweight title. Um, I think that a lot of Spit people are interested. I'm trying to get around to it to saying the particular bout that uh, we are going to show right now was not a world heavyweight title. You have, I know, uh, had an impressive win over Bobo Brazil in defense of your title and uh, several others, as a matter of fact. But let's talk about one coming up right now. Dick the Bruiser, you wanted to fight? By golly, here was a fight. And I got to say that this was a non-title bout. Uh, between Jerry the King Lawler and Dick the Bruiser, uh, the international street fighter. Well, uh, well, he turned out to be Dick the Loser when I got through with him, right? Yes. You see, you know, you've heard in football, they always have a game plan, right? Well, you have the same thing in wrestling. You know, when you find out who your opponent's going to be, you got to take a little time, you got to sit down, evaluate the situation, and decide what your strategy is going to be for that match. Well, my strategy for Dick the Bruiser was simple. That was beat him at his own game. Now, he talks about he's a street fighter and a brawler. Well, let me tell you something. You're looking or listening to the best of the street fighters and brawlers in King, baby. Don't ever let anybody tell you any different, Lance Russell. Now, Dick the Bruiser, see, he really thinks, now here's where I'm outsmarting him. He really thinks he's got me in a bad way. But the problem with Dick the Bruiser is, well, I almost, I'm almost hesitant to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. He has had his day. He's seen his better days. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? He's sort of in, he's almost in your category, Lance. You know, Dick the Bruiser was at one time probably a really tough, mean, street fighting, bad right here, news wrestler. Yeah. I, I thought I thought your talking days were over with right then and there. Uh-huh. And that's what Bruiser thinks too. Look at him. He is trying everything in the book. And I knew he would do this. This is what I'm telling you, my strategy comes in. I knew that Dick the Bruiser would hit me with chairs. I knew he'd run my head in the turnbuckles. I knew he'd try to choke me with ropes just like he's doing there. I knew he'd hit my head in the bells and watch the prophecy come true. Look at that, he'd run my head in the bell. I knew he'd do all these things and so I said to myself, let him do it because there's no way on earth that Dick the Bruiser can hurt me. All he's gonna do is wear his old feeble self down and that's exactly what happened. You see Dick the Bruiser expending every little ounce of energy that he has in that old decrepit body of his. He's using, look at this chair. Look, that would knock out a weaker man, but not the king. No, sir, I get right back in the ring, and I'm ready for Dick the Bruiser now. But this look, is... he can hardly get through the ropes, Russell. He's so tired. He's done everything in the book to me. Will you let he me He can say... barely get in the ring. Look at him now. He's stalling for time. He's asking the people, what can I do to him next? I've done everything. How this can I beat this man? This is the first non... Uh, no disqualification match that you ever had with Dick the Bruiser in That's there. That's right. Look, he, I told Jimmy, just come uh -huh. in. Got to get his yep. attention a little bit. Yep. That's all right. It's a no disqualification. Dick the Bruiser asked for it to be no disqualification. That's right. He said, anything goes. And I said, That's right down my alley. And baby, something's uh -huh. fixing to go. And it's Dick the Bruiser's head. Here it goes, right here. Hello, Dickie boy. Boom. Good night. Turn out the lights. It's all over now. The king is on top. One, two, Three, so much for Dick the Bruiser. He did just like I said he would. He'd be Dick the Loser. Now, Lance Russell. Now, right there is a situation with Lawler's hand up in the air, but. But there, what? There was a reversal of the decision by the referee. <laughs>
That was the funniest thing I'd seen in a week or two. You, Lance Russell, stand there, boy. You couldn't wait to grab that microphone and say, oh, the referee's reversed the decision. Dick the Bruiser's the winner. But you, with that airhead of yours, had forgot, just like Dick the Bruiser had, that he asked for no disqualification. So you cannot reverse a decision when there's no disqualification. I brought that to everyone's attention and was the next day after this film was viewed, was once again declared the winner of the match. Now, is that true or not? That is, as a matter of fact, <laughs> true. Look at Lance Russell. He hates it, boy. <laughs> you hate it, don't you? Okay. You hate it. Yeah. I'm the greatest. That's a simple fact. I am the greatest wrestler there's ever been. You are jealous. All of us idiots out here are jealous. Probably that's hey, what it boils down to. Get out of here. Okay, <laughs> that's it. Jerry the King Lawler, the world heavyweight champion. Great audio there with Jerry Lawler. What a great promo. Uh, you you got to be a fan of Lawler, right? His, not only was he great in the ring, uh, this man, his speaking skills, his mic skills were unbelievable. Uh, putting it over there with his match with Dick the Bruiser. And now let's get to the meat of the matter here, right? The part that is just so fascinating. I've always been so fascinated by this. Here it is. Uh, you heard, obviously heard Jerry Jarrett talking about it some in the interview, but here, here's the best we can understand what happened, right? It's, it's 1982. It's in the, the summerish, so to speak, uh, early fall, late summer, early fall. 1982. Business is clearly down for the Indianapolis office. It's clearly down for Dick the Bruiser. He's struggling. Uh, we've we've examined. We've talked to different people about why that is. What what it is. With why Dick the Bruiser, as wrestling was starting to boom, why Dick the Bruiser's business was going down. And uh, there's lots of theories, lots of opinions on it. Uh, some of them very well thought out. Uh, we're, we're not here to discuss that. But anyway, Dick understood that things were kind of on the decline. That things were slowing down. Something was going on. This is where you, you want to think there was always this great relationship with Dick the Bruiser and Jerry Jarrett because Dick the Bruiser calls Jerry and says, Jerry, I'm having trouble. Can you send me your Memphis tapes? Let me put them on my TV. Can you come up? Let's see if we can bump the business uh, and, and get things up. Jerry says, sure, I'll help you out, Dick. So Jerry Jarrett starts sending Dick the Bruiser tapes of Memphis TV. Dick the Bruiser starts showing these in his time slots, uh, in the Indianapolis area, in his, all of his, you know, part of his territory. Now, I, I've asked around, I've talked to many people, Not a, most people don't really b remember these Memphis tapes running in these slots. There were supposed to be local promos by Bruiser and maybe some of his guys, spliced, kind of spliced into the TV, plugs for the, the shows they were going to do, in the Indianapolis area, but most people don't remember. So I'm not sure. I think this might have been probably, I would guess, the same exact thing as the Louisville edit of the Memphis TV and the other towns, but particularly the Louisville edit. Sent to Bruiser. Bruiser was supposed to be putting in some local promos with him and some other guys, uh, and then it was supposed to be aired in their slot. I don't have never seen any, any video of these. Uh, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, and how it went. So there was a there was a couple months there between summer and fall where WWA didn't really run any shows. Then there's a handful of shows that pop up in November, early December, in Indianapolis, in Fort Wayne, in North Vernon, back in Indianapolis. 
and there's there's talk that there might have been a Hammond show in there and some other things. I'm not sure, but these are these are pretty well documented shows here. Where there is Memphis talent running on Bruiser shows with just a couple of WWA Dick the Bruiser guys on the shows. Um, anybody, any of us that are familiar with WWA, the names that were working these shows from the Indianapolis office are the kind of guys that we all agree are were the you know the talents that kind of stood out at the time. There's a heavy, heavy emphasis through all this on the WWA tag team titles. Jerry's not sure if that was by design, if it just happened that way, but it was. It was kind of the keystone feature. This was a program that ran between what we started off as the champions, Spike Huber and Steve Regal, and then the challengers from Memphis, the New York Dolls, Troy Graham and Rick McGraw, who were managed by Jimmy Hart. In a Memphis match, Huber and Regal went down, uh, worked Memphis, and they actually dropped the titles to the New York Dolls. So the New York Dolls, a Memphis tag team, uh, Dream Machine, Troy Graham, Quick Draw, Mc, Rick McGraw, as you guys all know them, uh, the New York Dolls with Jimmy Hart were the WWA tag champions. I'm fascinated by this. It is so intriguing to me how this happened. I wish there was more information on who were making these decisions. How, how is this developing? Uh, Jerry, Jarrett's not recalling a lot of the information on how these things were occurring in, in the talks. Um, it's fascinating to me that this, that this was occurring. Um, and it's really, really good stuff. There are some video. This is where I found the audio and video that I wanted to include Why I went back to re-record these parts. There is some video that I converted to audio for the show from Memphis TV featuring the New York Dolls with the WWA Tag Team titles. How cool is that? The WWE Tag Titles on Memphis TV, the New York Dolls with Jimmy Hart. And uh, here coming up, you'll hear the audio. They talk about Spike Huber and Steve Regal. They talk about going to Indianapolis uh, and, and for Bob Luce, right? For promoter Bob Luce, that's how they put it, right? The figurehead and winning the world tag titles. Uh, then there's some audio still talking about being world tag champs. It's still the WWE titles, but as they go to, into a program with the fabulous ones and who at that time were a new tag team, right? This is on the, the, the front end of, of the fabulous ones and they are coming into it and feuding with the New York dolls. This is just amazing. I wish there was more video of some of these stuff. Let's talk about some of these shows, right? The first one that is documented November 25th, 1982, at the Tindall Armory in Indianapolis. Listen listen to this card, okay? Terry Taylor uh, gets a win over Kamala. Uh, the New York Dolls uh, are the champs. They defend against Spike Huber and Steve Regal. They'd already won them in Memphis by this time. Dutch Mantel gets a win over Crusher Broomfield, later to be known as the one-man gang in Akeem uh, of, of ICW fame. This is when he's he's working in Memphis a little bit uh, in here on en route to other things. Uh, Jerry Roberts... Gets a win over the Angel. And El Bracero, our Indianapolis favorite, with gets a win over Max Blue. Another Midwest guy. Now, here, here's another cool thing. Just a note. Jerry Roberts. The, I, I have no definitive proof on who exactly this Jerry Roberts was. But I do know for a fact that Jacques Rousseau Jr., who later was the Mountie, Later was part of the the Quebecers and, and the Mounties and so on and so forth. The, the fabulous Rougeau brothers in the WWF WWE wrestled in the United States 
as Jerry Roberts. We do know Jacques Rougeau worked in Memphis around this time. You'll hear more about that here in a little bit, uh, here in a few minutes on another date I'm going to give you. My speculation, and I think it's a good guess, this Jerry Roberts is Jacques Rougeau Jr. <laughs> working in Indianapolis on essentially a WWA card. It's, it's pretty cool, right? He came, didn't want to really, f- he kind of wanted to establish himself, not feed off the family name uh, and everything else. So he wrestled as Jerry Roberts for a while. So anyway, then the next night, November 26, 82, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, this is an interesting show. Let me talk about the results, and then we'll talk about why this is interesting. Uh, Dick, okay, actually, let's let's go through all these. these I got four dates here. Let's go through all the dates, then we'll come back to this Fort Wayne card. Uh, but anyway, on this 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 show, Dick the Bruiser got a win over the Kamala. Uh, the WWE Tag Titles, the New York Dolls, uh, defend, which are no contest with Steve Regal, Spike Huber, Dutch Mantel beat Crusher Broomfield, Terry Taylor beat The Angel, and Jerry Roberts got a win over Max Blue. Uh, November 27th, 82, North Vernon, Indiana. Uh, Dick the Bruiser, Spike Huber, Steve Regal got a win over the Angel, Troy Graham, Rick McGraw. Terry Taylor defeated Abdullah the Great, a uh, Midwest regular, WWA regular. Dutch Mattel beat Crusher Broomfield. Jerry Roberts got a win over Max Blue. Then December 9th, 1982, at the Tindall Armory in Indianapolis, Indiana, the New York Dolls uh, lost by DQ to the Fabulous Ones. Uh, Spike Huber defeated the Angel. Steve Regal defeated Carl Fergie. Terry Taylor got a win by DQ over a young Bobby Eaton. And Coco Beware defeated Jacques Rougeau. That's right. They're credited him as Jacques Rougeau here. That's why I believe at this time that Jerry, one of the reasons I believe that that Jerry Roberts is Jacques Rougeau. Uh, again, how, how fascinating is it? December 9th on a WWA show, the Tindall Armory in Indianapolis, the fabulous ones appearing. Steve Lane and Stan Curtin. That is so cool to me. Bobby Eaton appearing on the show is so cool to me. And I do, God, I wish there was footage of this show. How awesome would that be to see that? Anyway, so as this partnership goes on, and we're going to come back to that Fort Wayne show I mentioned and, and why it's significant. Word gets back to Jerry Jarrett. The the key at Memphis at this time, they are building Kamala to be this monster, right? And um, then word gets back to Jerry Jarrett that... Suddenly, the booking's being changed from things they agreed to. And Dick is putting himself in the ring with Kamala. Not only is he doing that, but he's doing your prototypical Dick the Bruiser match. No sale, no sale, no sale, no sale. Bring on the power. Dick gets the win. <laughs> right? That's that, that match prototype from Dick the Bruiser that we've all grown to love here in the Midwest. But it was not agreed upon because it was kind of burying this Kamala character that Jerry's building in Memphis. And word gets back to, to Jerry Jarrett that, that that Dick's messing with the booking, messing, messing with the cards, messing with the results, doing things differently. Uh, Jerry says he came, I guess, was apparently in during the tour at some point, saw a poster advertising Dick the Bruiser versus Kamala, and that kind of helped trigger, oh, what's going on here? Uh, uh, and as you heard him say, he confronted Dick. Not, uh, confronted is a strong word. He did, it wasn't really a confrontation. But he he uh, he questioned Dick about it. Dick said, yeah, I just think I'm the draw. And that kind of ended. Uh, Jerry said, ah, well, we can't. We're not going to do this anymore. We had some agreements. Let's just call you know, call it a truce here. Just, let's just call it done. And so it was a very short-lived partnership. The match there in Fort Wayne, November 26, 1982, where the Bruiser going over on Kamala, is, is the show that set that off, right? That's the... That's the match uh, in the show that Dick was kind of messing with the booking, uh, put himself over on Kamala in a strong fashion that kind of just ticked everything else off. Uh, and by 19, early 1983, WWE's back running. They're typical shows with their typical crews. 
uh, and TV's back to the way it, it was before. So essentially, there's there's talk with with Jerry and other people of of hey, I think there was a tour. I think there was two tours. There might have been three tour little tours here. There's only records really of kind of one tour of of these four dates, maybe five dates. Like I said, there might be another early December, late November Hammond show. We're not sure. Uh, I've I've dug and searched through newspapers.com trying to find more information. Haven't the only thing I've really come across is an ad for this North Vernon show, uh, and uh, and then an ad for the uh, Indianapolis show with the fabulous ones on it. Uh, there are some results from the North Vernon show I found in the paper, but not a lot else. There's nothing on the Fort Wayne show really that I can find. Nothing really on uh, the other Indianapolis show. Okay, with respect on the Fort Wayne show, Tim Tassler, a friend of the show, uh, who was on our Bruiser uh, birthday tribute show, and a longtime Fort Wayne. WWE historian went to all the shows in the area that at that time uh, did confirm he was at that show did confirm show put online on my Facebook post uh, a picture of the the note card that he used to write results on for every show he went to so he was at that show he said he doesn't remember a whole lot about it but uh, there is the confirmation that show did occur and, and the results of that show uh, through him and being at the show so but from the best of the information I can gather there was just the one tour uh, where they worked together. There was the the deal with the Bruiser and Kamala match in Fort Wayne that kind of, you know, however you depend on it, it wasn't, uh, uh, long story short, it wasn't really what they had agreed upon doing. Uh, Dick thought he was doing what was best for his, his business. Uh, Jerry was kind of wanting to protect his business, so it was a difference of opinion. And as you heard Jerry say, there was no hard feelings there, right? There was no... It was not a, a uh, there was no anger in the split. It was just a split, right? They decided to, to cease working together. But I am, it's so fascinating to me that, especially me personally, because I'm, of course, a huge fan of Midwest wrestling. All right? I, I love the WWE and Indianapolis office. I love the big time wrestling Detroit office. I love the AWA. But I also, I love Memphis wrestling, right? Who does not love Memphis wrestling? And to think that those two came together and worked during these four shows and uh, the four documented shows that we know of and that that Memphis was on the Memphis tapes were on TV here that uh, the New York Dolls were the WWE tag champs on Memphis TV that Spike Huber and Steve Regal went and did some Memphis TV appearances and worked in the Mid-South Coliseum that's also fascinating and amazing to me and I wish there was more on it and I'm going to continue to dig and hopefully who knows right things turn up all the time who maybe it will uh, one can hope, uh, which brings us to the audio that I in video that I found that held up this episode in this in the latest round of holdups. Right, we're going to take it to you now. It's all New York Dolls audio again. It starts off real shortly after they win the WWE tag titles in Memphis from Spike Huber and Steve Regal. You're going to hear Jimmy Hart talk about it, uh, and then there's a promo. Actually, there's two other promos, excuse me, where uh, Hart's talking about different things with uh, the Fabulous Ones and, and other teams, but they're still WWE Tag Champs, still talking about that. Now, if you go to my YouTube channel, and you should be a subscriber there because I've got a lot of great old Midwest wrestling, a lot of old WWE wrestling, uh, some other things, along with the podcast there. There you can find, uh, if you look under the current show playlist, uh, there you can find the video for these. I'm going to put, I'm putting it up. 
in it actually, there's more to the video than to the audio, right? There is actually a New York Dolls match in there against uh, a couple of enhancement talents. And there's also clips of a match with the New York Dolls and Spike Huber and Steve Regal from Memphis. Uh, very, very, very cool stuff. So go to YouTube, make sure you subscribe to me, and go watch that. I'm going to share it on all of our social media as well. So make sure you share that with all your friends. So right now, though, let's go to the audio version of that. The New York Dolls with Jimmy Hart, the WWA Tag Champions from Memphis TV in 1982. Champions, speaking of champions, Jimmy Hart, that's right, baby. I stood out and I said, you're going to be looking at the new world champions. And when Jimmy Hart steps up and he backs it up, baby, look at him, dolls. Look at the audience, baby. Look at these people. You know where we go, the people are saying, we want the dolls. We want the dolls. Well, let me tell you what, baby, we don't want you. Because when Jimmy Hart was laid up in that hospital bed, who sent me flowers and cards? Nobody. So don't try to jump on my bandwagon now, baby, with my dolls. The world champion. You know, this is the greatest week for me in my life. The greatest week. You know, Mr. Bob Loose up in Indianapolis has been calling me every week. He's been saying, Jimmy, oh, Jimmy, would you please give my pretty little boys, my little spiky Hubert, the young lions, is what they call themselves now, the young lions, and Stevie Regal another shot at those belts. Please, will you come to Indianapolis and see what happened, man? See, they came down to Jimmy Hart's backyard and when anybody comes in my backyard baby there's only one other way out and it's through me and you don't go through me so they lost the scraps here so now every day bob loose tight pockets money wide man i said if you come up with some bread we might come back to indy we might come up there and make a tour but i don't think if he took all the money in the whole state up there if he took everybody up there in indianapolis and put the money together there's not enough to get the dolls back up there man like i said the young lions you want us baby then come and get us you're looking at the world champions boy the new york dolls the greatest team in professional wrestling so mr loose mr tight pocket if you want jimmy hart come up with a scratch baby because you're looking at the world champions baby the world Championship Wrestling. By golly, what an interesting show today. And uh, let me tell you about interesting. Tonight out at the fair, I said tonight out at the fairgrounds, the action is going to be good. Robert Gibson going against Carl Fergie. Bobby Fulton against the Angel. Buddy Landell and Dutch Mantell going against the brand new New Zealand Sheep Herders. And then the main event. Stand by for this one. Jimmy Hart, New York Dolls, will be engaged in a little fisty cup with the brand new fabulous ones. You'll be hearing more about it in just a moment. You know what? You have seen the rest, but now you are definitely looking at the best. The touch of class, Nashville, is coming at your Music City, USA. Let me, let me introduce my men the way they should be introduced for you. Ladies and gentlemen, and I use that word very, very loosely, I present to you the greatest, the greatest tag team in professional wrestling, the new world champions. My New York dolls. Now you can take it back. Come on, tell them, Bingo. Tell them what it's all going to be like. You know, that's Grand Ole Opry time. What I'm saying. Funky, funky, funky. Graveyard disposition. A tombstone mine. Two big white mother sons that don't mind dying. You know, I got my hat on cocky. Jackie Fargo, you think you the head mucking the muck honcho around Nashville, Tennessee. You got another thing coming. You bring your fabulous ones and come on down and get the New York dolls. You understand what I'm saying? Because, baby, it's New York. You understand what I'm saying? Uptight. Won't the fight. Tell them what it's going to be like, darling. That's right, roll up every street except those leading to the fairground because only activity happening in the Music City tonight is going to be the New York Dolls. Right. Bringing it down, bringing it to the fabulous ones they, so, they call themselves. Jack Fargo, you better stay at home because you're going to be embarrassed right there in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee, where the New York Dolls are the ones that are being reckoned with, Jack. I think not only you, but the rest of the heart group oh, right here be better great. stay around and just take a listen to what we got coming up 
on championship wrestling in there. Tonight, the New York Dolls and the fabulous ones. And I got to guarantee you this. It is going to be worth your trip, your admission, to get in to see that one battle on that tonight at the fairgrounds. Yeah, better believe that. What was the time again? Time on it was 3 minutes, 13 seconds. 3 minutes, 13 seconds. The winners, the Sheepherders over Fulton and Stark. We've got more tag action coming up in just a moment. Like I'll tell you one that was a dandy. It was the New York Dolls defending the title against the guys they had won it from. Steve Regal and Spike Huber. Jackie Fargo, why don't you take this quarter, baby, and why don't you call somebody who cares if you come back into professional wrestling or not, baby? Let me tell you something. You want to show pictures of blood and black eyes? Hey, Jimmy Hart's been down that road too, Pally. Pally, Pally, I hate that word, Pally. If he said it again, I'd blow my brains out. Well, let me tell you something, Pally. I've had the black eyes, and I've had the scars on my head, and I've been in the hospital with a broken leg, and I've had the fractured jaw too, Pally. Where have you been for three years? I'll tell you where you've been, getting those social security checks. Boy, well, this is professional wrestling now. 1982, not 1952, baby. The, the exos are out, Fargo. They're all gone. Music City's our town. Let me tell you something. It's still Steve Kern and Stan Lane, but with beards. Why they got beards? Because the first family has them. Because, you see, they are followers. They're not leaders. So, Fargo, why don't you call somebody that gives a care? I promise you one thing. That's right, Jackie Fargo. I'd have been ashamed, man, to get up here on that film and show my skunk headed. You better take $2, as you so cool call it, and buy you some bleach, boy. You understand what I'm saying? You, you're going to make one of the, probably the biggest mistakes that you've ever made in your fat, stinking life. You understand what I'm talking about? Because I'll tell you why, Fargo. I'll tell you exactly why. You should have stayed on that golf course because the wrestling business is no place for you now. And it's no place for you, Stan Lane. It's no place for you, Steve Kern, because we're going to show you a lesson. You understand what I'm talking about? I see a lot of dirty days done dirt cheap, and I know, Fargo, that you've done a lot of them. All right, that's it. The New York Dolls, the fabulous ones tonight. Right out there at the fairgrounds, we'll see who the imitators and who the leaders like and followers the are. All right, tonight's the one. You better be out there and see it, too. And there you have it, the New York Dolls, then the WWA World Tag Team Champions on Memphis TV. Such cool audio, such a fascinating story, such a wonderful slice of wrestling history, and how this all unfolded, how it goes back to Bruiser working in Memphis, uh, Jerry Jarrett taking Louisville from Dick the Bruiser, then the, the partnership in 82, such a wonderful, wonderful segment of professional wrestling history. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope that this episode was entertaining enough to make the wait worthwhile. Before we get out of here, I'd like to send out some thank yous, obviously, to Jerry Jarrett for agreeing to do the interview and talking with me. Uh, I have so much respect for Mr. Jarrett and, and everything he's accomplished. Uh, one of the truly greats and, and a great, great man, uh, personally also, to deal with. Thank you for being on the show today and doing that interview. Uh, also, a thank to Chris Parsons and Tim Tassler and Clawmaster for all their work as historians for Midwest Wrestling and the results that they have shared and put out there for uh, for others to use uh, for informational purposes and and for all the chats I have with with uh, with Chris and Tim uh, about these things. Thank you so much for for helping and let me pick your brains on things relating to this episode. 
it, it, it's, it, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Support all of the podcasts here on the Dynasty Wrestling Podcast Network. The best way to do that is go to our Pro Wrestling Tees store. It is at ProWrestlingTees.com slash The Dave Dynasty. There you will find all of the shirts that we offer. I Heart Old School Wrestling, Bruiser Buddy, the Podcast Mask shirt, and of course, the official shirts for the Ontario Wildman and the Ring and Ding Dong Dandy podcast. Visit ProWrestlingTees.com slash The Dave Dynasty, order a shirt, and support the network. If you would also like to support, you can join our Patreon. It's at Patreon.com slash Dave Dynasty. There, you will get exclusive audio and video clips, early releases on podcasts, and much, much more. And if you would just like to make one-time contributions to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash the Dave Dynasty. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for listening. Continue to support Independent Wrestling Podcast. All right, there you have it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. And thank you for being patient with us. Like I said, uh, lots going on, caused some delays. But as a thank you and an early Christmas present, we gave you this triple shot of episodes today with three great interviews. We hope you enjoyed them. And we hope you tune in next week to another free episode of Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Until then, be good, be safe, and keep on growing.